Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I am Jay Jones, and I am here, as always, with George Mays. But today we have a special guest, Tim Gresham. Tim, thanks for coming. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Tim is uh, a, me- a former member of our church, and he's a trustworthy pastor, um, now pastor of Salem Baptist Church, Missionary Baptist Church here in Lawton. And Tim rep- is our representative of dispensationalism. Yes. So don't let the movement down. So, <laughs> all right. I already have. Yeah. I already have. <laughs> no, we, uh, you know, I think yes. uh, we were talking about doing this series, and uh, I think George was like, hey, I, we know a postman. We could have Corey on. And I was like, that's a good idea. Who do we know that's dispensational? And then we thought about it, and then uh, your name came up. So you drew the short <laughs> straw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know that my reputation preceded me. <laughs> so hopefully during this series, you know, one of the things that we can try to show is that um, we really have a lot more in common as Christians than than people say. They say, "Oh, there's all this division, all these different beliefs," but we have a lot more in common than people think that we do. And we're all really brothers and sisters in the Lord and. There should be a lot less divisiveness over this type of stuff. Amen. So that's one of the things we want to show uh, during these next four weeks is if you hold to a historically like orthodox Christian position, like these are not things to anathematize each other over and divide right. with each other over and even you know draw these like make these caricatures, these stereotypes, and there's too much of that going on. There needs to be more unity, especially today. I think with the way that. The country is going, so we ought to be fair. And so we said, you know what? Instead of us just talking about it, let's bring someone on who knows more about that stuff than we do. So you're the guy. Glad to be here. Glad yeah. <laughs> so, well, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, one thing, one thing I know that I'll share is that with people is that you're a, a veteran, and that's pretty cool. You're a Marine, and then after uh, serving as a Marine for a while, you end up becoming a chaplain in the Army. That's right. That's right. You actually retired, so. Uh, July will be two years ago, retired after 14 years as a Army chaplain. And um, before that, I was a pastor for 12 years. Um, and then before that, I was in the Marine Corps right out of high school for 10 years. Yeah. Did um, you get saved in, in the Marine Corps? Uh, no, I was saved as a child. I was 10 years old. Um, my dad and uh, step, uh, stepmother uh, worked at children's homes. A variety of children's homes, and um, they were at the Rio Grande Children's Home uh, down in Mission, Texas, and uh, faithfully, every summer, my brother and I would go visit my dad, and uh, at 10 years old, I came under conviction, um, uh, talked to a preacher by the name of John Bunyan Wilder, <laughs> wow. that a cool name? Uh, an evangelist at the time, and um, uh, he took the time to explain the gospel to me, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Uh, and that day he saved me. Awesome. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, 14 years as an army chaplain. Um, I always had a passion for the pulpit. Uh, didn't get to preach as much as I would have liked in the army, though I did get to preach at least once, if not two or three times, uh, in a given month. Um, so I knew when it was time for me to hang up the uniform that I would be back in the pulpit. Yeah. Uh, serving Christ's people, so awesome. So you're you're missionary Baptist, 
That's correct. Always, always missionary Baptist? Was that what you were raised? That's the way I was raised. Okay. Um, uh, I was raised in the Baptist Missionary Association. Okay. Um, but uh, while I was in the Marine Corps, I got involved into the independent Baptist movements mm-hmm. when I surrendered to preach. Okay. Um, and that, of course, is where I learned my dispensational theology. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. Are, are there any distinctives about uh, missionary Baptists that would maybe set you apart from, I mean, we were Southern Baptists for a long time. Right. Is there yes. anything that would set set us apart? Is it just, was there just a, a split somewhere, you know, there historically? What, what, um, uh, what would set missionary Baptists in uh, our, apart? In our Baptist history, uh, in recent years, um, late 1800s, early 1900s, there was, you may be familiar with the Landmarkist controversy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so a group of people left the Southern Baptist Church, uh, Southern Baptist Churches, the convention, <laughs> Um, and started other movements. Uh, one of those movements was the American Baptist Association, which our church is affiliated with. Um, and Landmarkus uh, would define that theology would make us distinct from other Baptist movements, I guess. Okay. Um, I guess you'd say Landmarkism in a nutshell would be the um, strict autonomy of the local church, mm-hmm. which, of course, the Southern Baptists believe. Well, yeah. they say they, they do. say they do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, the succession of Baptistic churches since the time of Christ to the present day. Okay. Now this is where some people differ in landmarkism. Some say there is a physical perpetuity, uh, which cannot be proven. Mm. Um, it's it would be impossible to drive that li- that linkage all the way back. They try though. Uh, yeah, they, they do. They definitely do. Um, but there are others that uh, say no. If you have these marks, mm-hmm. uh, doctrinal marks, mm-hmm. these theological beliefs, if you have these marks, then you are part of that lineage from the time of mm-hmm. Christ. Um, one big staple is that we believe that uh, Jesus started the church in his lifetime, uh, uh, but at Pentecost. Uh, the church was empowered with the Holy Spirit. Uh, most evangelicals believe that the church started at, at Pentecost. That would be one of our distinctives. Okay. Yeah. Well, interesting history, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the missionary in Missionary Baptist, is that, is that another distinctive? It is, it is. That would go back to the, you know, the controversies between Calvinism and the General Baptists. Okay. Um, and so churches that were called missionary Baptist in our movement were to distinguish themselves that we, we send missionaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, not, we're not part of that hard shell Baptist movement where um, uh, we would not send missionaries because God will save the elect. Mm, okay. Um, so uh, there's, there's a lot of missionary Baptist churches um, uh, that no longer even carry the name Missionary Baptist. Legally, they do in their documents. But, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, you may not even know you're in a Missionary Baptist church okay. until you get to learn their theology. Okay, okay, yeah. All right. It's like a lot of Southern Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I guess they could... They could. Uh, let, I, they would could say, uh, I would say a lot of Southern Baptist churches, you have to have them tell you because you wouldn't be able to distinguish anything. <laughs> and some of them, you wouldn't even know you're at a church. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. 
Did I come to a play or uh, what's going on here? Musical? What, what is this? Yeah, right. Yeah. I guess. A, I, it, I, I mean, we're 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 kind of setting up, uh, like, uh, just kind of knowing you a little bit better. Right. So we're not. Yeah. Uh, we're so we're kind of chasing rabbits. But okay. it's the Missionary Baptist. Uh, you know, a lot of churches are experiencing, you know, uh, deconstruction or, or you know, uh, a liberal or or woke bent. Is the Missionary Baptist? Uh, are they experiencing any of the same problems that, like, the Southern Baptist, uh, PCA? Like, they're all kind of battling. Uh, more liberal bent is—is is that something that the missionary Baptists are are, well, there, are fighting any? The, the, yeah, there's always going to be a um, an attempt to infiltrate. You know, mm-hmm. unbelief um, mm-hmm. is going to attempt to infiltrate. Um, the American Baptist Association is smaller uh, in some ways, um, and I don't hear or or know of any controversies towards liberalism in the ABA. Okay. In the Baptist Missionary Association, which I spent most of my life in and was endorsed um, by them as a an army chaplain, um, you know, a lot of our seminary professors at our at our school, Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary in Jacksonville, Texas, um, they were trained at Southern Baptist institutions, you know. Um, and depending on how far back you go, um, some of the old preachers looked at the Southern Baptists uh, with suspicion. Um, <laughs> and so they would say, you know, that would be uh, an attempt at liberalism. Mm, yeah. um, I would not. Yeah. Uh, very faithful men who had taught us at seminary. Um, but they have, uh, in the Baptist Missionary Association, a little bit larger, um, they probably have a lot of the similar problems that the Southern Baptists have, uh, I don't want to call them controversies, but some things that are going... For instance, um, it may be in the Southern Baptist Convention, there's probably a third um, that are Calvinistic. Um, It's the same way in the Baptist Missionary Association. Um, uh, But as far as liberalism, a lot of times we were on the outside looking in, Mm. and we would address it among ourselves before... uh, So if anybody is leaning towards uh, wokeism, liberalism, uh, chances are greater that they would just leave our movement and go find a place that they're comfortable in, I would think, than rather than... I, I mean, I wish that that's what I hope they that's would the have case. done with the SBC, <laughs> but uh, it seems like the mm-hmm. conservatives, yeah. like, we're, I mean, that's why we left, is to get away yeah. from some of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't want to say it won't ever happen, because mm-hmm. movements... Oh, yeah, as definitely. ...as they calcify mm-hmm. yep. um, and get comfortable... I think every every generation we need another resurgence, another ref- reformation, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, a revival of sorts. To right. is uh, geographically like where your church is more prominent um, in the South. Uh, though we have churches in California, in uh, Oregon, um, uh, but predominantly in Arkansas, Texas, um, Oklahoma. Okay, um, we've got churches in in Florida. Just uh, all over. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, we uh, we started our uh, eschatology series a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, and we started with just kind of the um, what are the non negotiables? So, bodily return of Christ, mm-hmm. um, resurrection, the end of of the devil and and sin, a new heavens and new earth. 
things that if you don't hold to these things, you're outside the the bounds of of orthodoxy. Um, so let's 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 jump in and talk about your your uh, eschatological position because within the bounds of orthodoxy, there are plethora mm-hmm. <laughs> of different uh-huh. of different positions so maybe tell us what is your what's your eschatological position and maybe give us some distinctives of it okay um well i am a dispensational though i would probably describe myself or have been described as a dispensationalist with a little d <laughs> um okay within uh, <laughs> dispensationalism um definitely premillennial in the return of christ um, so I want, was, one thing we'll have to do, because there'll be a lot of people that don't have any idea about these okay. terms at all. Right, define some of the So we'll have to terms. just, yeah, yeah. So we'll need you to describe what you mean by the term premillennial and what you mean by just the term dispensational mm-hmm. Okay, in itself. All right. you know well, I mean? dispensation um, is an older term uh, that you'll read um, in some of the older writings. Uh, it's uh, certainly in, still in the King James Version and a couple of times in the New King James Version. Uh, but it literally means a stewardship. Um, it comes from the Greek word ekonomos, uh, from which we get our English word economy. Mm. Uh, so there's been a stewardship that's been giving. Depending on the form of the noun, it could be um, a steward. Like a manager. A manager yeah. or a stewardship, a management. Yeah. Um, and dispensationalism as a systemized theology came from that word because uh, the Apostle Paul talked about a mystery that's been revealed. Uh, I've been giving, been given this stewardship uh, to preach the gospel, to reveal these things that have been hidden from ages past. And so, um, and a lot of times the dispensational, uh, dispensationalism as a category, we're really talking about ages, mm. uh, which, is, which is used more often in the Bible than these, the term stewardship or mm-hmm. dispensationalism. Okay. Um, so that's one of the questions I have for you. Is this an eschatology, or is this a hermeneutic of interpreting the Bible, or is it both? It's both. It's, a, I would say, first and foremost, a hermeneutic. Uh, it's a lens through which we see the Scriptures. Uh, a lot of times, even in, you know, in covenantal theology, uh, you see a storyline developing through, mm-hmm. um, uh, and each covenant has its its purpose, I guess, depending if you're a Reformed Baptist or a Presbyterian, mm-hmm. uh, the Mosaic Covenant, you know, mm-hmm. might have a different purpose, right? A uh, different function. Um, well, the same as in dispensationalism, um, a dispensationalist will see various uh, periods of stewardship that's been given by God to man, um, and so a mark of a dispensation would be that God gives a new revelation. And it may be in the form of a covenant, such as the Abrahamic covenant, the Noahic covenant. Um, uh, so there's a new revelation and a new responsibility placed upon man. Uh, but with that, uh, the dispensation ends with uh, God revealing that man has not kept that new responsibility, and therefore there is a judgment. For instance, um, the first dispensation of innocence, you have Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, the new revelation is this. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to replenish the earth. Uh, I want you to have dominion over the earth. And oh, by the way, mm. there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil over here uh, that you are not to, to eat from. And of course, you know the story that uh, the serpent beguiled Eve 
deceived Eve, and uh, and they did rebel against God. They ate the forbidden fruit, and they received a consciousness that they didn't previously have, an, an awareness of sin, a, an awareness of uh, brokenness that they are now entering into. Um, and so you have the new revelation from God. Um, you have man failing that, and then the judgment is that they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. Um, and then a new dispensation starts. Well, let's just go through them. I mean, I think that was that was pretty okay. helpful yeah. in an understanding of it. And I think it's good. Um, I'm, I'm teaching a biblical theology Sunday school class right now, and we're talking about the storyline and how to put the whole Bible together. And I, yeah. I think I think it is important to to bring out the fact that this is a whole Bible theology. It is. Like, yes. So so the differences. And I, I'm I'm constantly trying to bring out the fact that we we can get we can get sidetracked by the peripheral things instead of where where is the actual difference, and right. the difference is going to be in how we put the whole Bible together, not just do we see, um, like when do we put a rapture or right. when do we right. put um uh, you know the, the millennial kingdom, like how do we put the whole Bible together, um, and how are we interpreting. The, the storyline that's that's where our differences are going to to really come into play right right and so we can talk about those those little you know the 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 issues within the main issue but the main issue is how are we interpreting the whole bible right right that's um so i i think it's i think that's good that you're bringing out the fact that this is a hermeneutic this is how correct you're, you're reading the the story right right yeah. <clears throat> that's good it, um, so you have, are there six dispensations or seven? Well, it depends, depends on the dispensationalism. Depends. <laughs> right. Typically, nowadays, uh, people have landed on seven okay. uh, dispensations. Uh, that, um, and that, sorry to keep interrupting, but that's good to bring out also, the yes. fact that there are more than, like, we say dispensationalism, it's, it's there's not, a there's a spectrum. There is. Right? There is. There's the... There's the what the classical dispensationalist of of Schofield, mm-hmm. and then what's there's and then on the other end there's progressive dispensationalist. That's correct. That's correct. There's another one. Um, it's either called modern or revised. Okay. From the fifties to uh, nineteen eighty five. And probably even within that those those headings there's probably a spectrum. Oh, yes. On yeah. those also, and I, I think that's good to to point out because it's really easy to to just kind of this umbrella, mm-hmm. um, and instead of listening to the person, you just come with these presuppositions of, well, they're a dispensationalist, so here's all the things that they believe, right, instead exactly. of saying, well, That's what does this person, <laughs> what's this person uh-huh. believe? Uh-huh. Um, so it's important because, I mean, as we are talking about different positions, even within the positions, Mm-hmm. There are positions, mm-hmm. right? Right, right. Um, so that's that's good to to remind the the audience. That's good, good. Yeah, but uh, I believe uh, in the seven that there are seven dispensations. Uh, uh, could be wrong, you know. Uh, but this is again a, a lens through which we see the story of Scripture and God's plan of redemption. Um, typically, these are the the seven that you'll see in writing. Uh, we've already mentioned the uh, dispensation called Innocence. And by the way, uh, most of these titles for these individual dispensations are given by theologians. You know, um, It may not necessarily come from a word within that dispensation, uh, like the Innocence. Mm-hmm. You know? Innocence may not even be the best choice of words when describing the state of Adam and Eve before they were uh, fell into 
to sin when they mm-hmm. rebelled against God, you know, right. because of uh, the nuances there. Uh, the second dispensation is that of conscience. Now that they have an awareness of their sins, it starts uh, with the fall of Adam and Eve, and it and it ends with um, it ends with the flood, uh, uh, Noah and the ark. Um, and so they ha- man has this consciousness, uh, this awareness of their sin, but they don't listen to their conscience and they go headlong into evil. Right, right. Uh, well, think about it at the. At the fall, um, the judgment was uh, there will be pain and childbearing for the women. Uh, men will be preach- uh, preaching. <laughs> we do preach from the sweat of our face, uh, but we will be tilling <laughs> the ground from the uh, sweat of our face, some more than others, right? Um, uh, but there was also the promise of the, the coming of the seed of the woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is going to be this deliverer. Uh, well, this all this this truth, which is also more revelation from God to man goes into the next dispensation, which is called uh, the dispensation of conscience. Um, conscience, And uh, so they have this revelation, and you would think that they would do everything that they can to maintain a godly lineage for this promised coming Redeemer called the seed of the woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not very long that you see the first murder taking place uh, in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention... Um, as we lead up to the times of Noah and the flood, uh, man gets to the point where only, they're only doing things that are evil. They're doing it continually. Um, and so the revelation they've received was that, that there's a Redeemer, um, they have this awareness, and they rebel against God. Uh, they, they, they turn into murderous, uh, self-centered people. And then it, that dispensation ends with the judgment, which is the flood. I, I keep getting this nagging thought that I've heard this called a, a different label. Uh, government? The, the, the no, dispensation? That's oh, that's, that's next. next. That, oh, okay. That next. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yes. Um, this would be the antediluvian period uh, before okay. the flood. Uh, it's between Adam and Eve and before uh, the Noahic covenant, which mm. is when the the period of governance comes mm, in, okay. uh, which is the third dispensation, human government or post-Diluvian. Uh, that's from the time of Noah to the to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. Mm. Um, the new revelation is, uh, listen, this there's sanctity of life. Um, you've been you've been killing people, you've been murderous, um, and so there's this concept of the sanctity of life and the institution of capital punishment. Um, if man sheds man's blood by man, their blood will be shed. They will be, um, they will be killed. And and um, and so there's a form of government that that takes place. God has delegated certain areas of His authority. So God instituted a corporate, uh, a corporateness to the relationship now between man and man. Um, and so during this time, man's failure is that they failed to rule righteously, uh, which culminated eventually in the Tower of Babel. You remember, so during mm-hmm. this this time of human government, and by the way, just uh, each dispensation is distinct in itself because of God's revelation and man's new responsibility. But that doesn't mean that getting into a new dispensation does not mean we are not we are no longer held to the previous responsibility of that dispensation. Mm. They all they all build upon each other. Uh, they they carry over, um, and so human government takes place. 
Uh, but then they start to come together and, uh, and to build the Tower of Babel to make their way to heaven. Um, rather than seeking God, God's way to heaven. And, of course, that judgment, that dispensation, ends with the confusing of the languages and the dispersion of the people. Um, so you have, uh, you have innocence, you have conscience, you have human government, and now uh, everybody's favorite, uh, the dispensation of promise or the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, this would be uh, the patriarchal rule, um, dispensation, and it starts with Abraham of Genesis chapter 12, and it ends with the uh, children of Israel um, coming out of Egypt and giving the law. Um, so during this time, the, it's the patriarchal rule. It's a, um, the smaller institution of families, uh, family government, and then the larger um, even though Abraham and his descendants are a people group, you know, sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, uh, they are not yet a codified nation. And so this would be described as a patriarchal rule, dispensation. And it starts with the Abrahamic covenant. God's new revelation for mankind now is a promise of a nation, a promise of a land, a promise of a seed uh, that would be... Uh, through the lineage and descendants of Abraham, all of the nations and families of the earth would be blessed. Now, you, this goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the original seed of the woman. Um, and so this is God's revelation. Um, this, the outward sign of the Abrahamic covenant is that of male circumcision. Um, I know you all know this, but uh, I'm, I'm yeah, trying yeah. to yeah. No, this for, yeah. uh, build, good. build on the storyline. So they receive this revelation... Uh, but man's failure is that they didn't stay in the promised land. Um, they didn't obey God. So you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and others who have failed the test um, or are failing the test of faith uh, and obedience, which were man's responsible, responsibility. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. You know, Abraham was saved by faith. Mm -hmm. uh, Isaac and Jacob, they're saved by faith, but there's still a responsibility of mankind's obedience uh, within that, and then ultimately this dispensation ends with God's judgment of uh, Egyptian enslavement. Um, so some would say they probably should have trusted God and stayed in their homeland mm. um, and acquired the land that God... Of course, we know God is sovereign over, over all of these events. Um, so that's the dispensation of promise. Uh, the next one is the uh, dispensation of law which is the, uh, when, when they were given the Mosaic Law. Um, so now they are identified as a nation. Um, it, it's codified in the Law of Moses. You have, of course, the Moral Law. You have the um, uh, Civil Law. And you have the Ceremonial Law that's all involved in their identity as, as a people. Um, so in this dispensation, God's revelation and man's responsibility, God promised of them a special relationship with the, with the Lord. Um, and, uh, but as, as we all know, uh, man failed to keep the law. Mm -hmm. The law wasn't designed to save anyone, um, but, um, but it did reveal the need that we are saved. And so this dispensation ends with... Uh, uh, many judgments by God in the Old, in the Old Testament represented in the various captivities 
Babylonian captivity, um, Assyrian, uh, the Persians, um, all of that that's taking place. Uh, Would the Romans, the Roman invasion and occupation yes, be included? Yes, yeah. So uh, one of the marks of a dispensation, again, is a new revelation from God, which means a new responsibility by man or for man. Uh, but because we fail, all of these demonstrate our utter failure and need for that seed of the woman and the seed of Abraham, uh, which is culminated in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but it ends with a, a specific judgment. Um, and in this case, this specific judgment um, would be the actual the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, uh, where he died uh, to redeem mankind. Mm. Um, uh, which I, I think is uh, is a beautiful portrayal of God's plan for the ages as told through this storyline um, within dispensationalism. Which would bring us to our current dispensation that we are currently living in, which is the dispensation of grace. So you have innocence, you have conscious conscience, you have human government, you have promise with uh, Abraham, you have uh, the Mosaic Law, dispensation of the law, and then the dispensation of grace, which is a uh, uh, emphasis on the church. And this began at the resurrection. Um, well, again, it depends on on who you talk to. <laughs> um, an old Schofield Bible. Um, by C.I. Schofield, would say that the dispensation of grace started at the cross with the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, but newer dispensationalism, uh, the revised and progressive, would say, no, it started at the starting of the church in the book of Acts, um, mm. chapter, chapter number 2. Um, and so now we're in this age of grace, um, all of these Old Testament requirements and responsibilities are are still appropriate for our dispensation, but we are not. We're no longer held by the ceremonial law. We're no longer held by the civil law uh, because we are not national Israel. Uh, but there's still the the moral law that's all encompassing, um, and uh, the age of grace. Though we are all guilty of breaking God's law. Uh, we now have the grace, you know, capital punishment uh, from a theocracy uh, isn't immediate anymore. You know, the, the stoning of somebody uh, for breaking the Sabbath, for instance. Uh, we live in, a, in an age of grace, a dispensation of grace. Um, so God's new revelation in this dispensation is, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, walk with Jesus, and evangelize the world. Um, and it, it'll end with a, a time of trouble, great tribulation, and God's wrath before he, ent- uh, he ushers in the, the final dispensation. Not the final state, but the final dispensation. Um, and that's because of during the dispensation, the sixth dispensation of grace, um, our failure is that we've, we've apostatized. Um, the church grows more cold. Uh, pe- the people of God grow more distant and more worldly uh, to the point where people are leaving the faith or they're starting a new, a new branch of faith and liberalism, you might think, you know, um, to where it no longer represents the God of the Bible, but it is, quote, religion. Mm. Yeah, they may even call it Christianity. Uh, and so there's a, a, an apostasy taking place 
which ends this dispensation with God's judgment and and God's wrath, which brings us into the final uh, dispensation, which is the dispensation of the kingdom, uh, the messianic uh, thousand-year reign, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Um, and during that time, uh, Jesus rules with a rod of iron. We were talking about Psalm 2, and uh, uh, Jesus is literally on the Davidic throne uh, on the earth, um, and he is ruling the nations. Those Old Testament prophecies that talk about the people, the nations coming uh, to Jerusalem, uh, coming to worship the Lord, uh, all these different nations that are coming, we believe this, this takes place in the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial reign. Uh, but as you know the story in the book of Revelation, uh, the way it ends is, um, I forgot to mention this, that Satan is bound for a thousand years. Uh, at the end of that thousand years, Satan is released, um, and he deceives the nations. And there's another uprising and rebellion against God. Uh, this would coincide with the failure of man. And... Um, and then that, that final battle takes place, and then he's, he and the beast and the false prophet are all cast into the lake of fire, and then we enter into the eternal state. Now, what that looks like, I'm not quite sure, but uh, in a nutshell, if I could say it was a nutshell, <laughs> that's uh, the progressivism of the different dispensations as we build upon one and the other. Uh-huh. So. <clears throat> yeah, it, it seems that uh, there's a real emphasis on progressive revelation. In this in the system, yes, yes, mm-hmm. um, we didn't. Mankind did not ha, did not understand the kind of faith that Abraham displayed in the previous dispensations, though that faith was there. Um, one of the false caricatures that many um, project on dispensationalism is that there's different ways of salvation. That's what I was one of the questions I wrote down I was going to ask you about. Right. Because I, I wanted to hear it from you because I've heard that as a, an accusation. Right. They believe in two ways of salvation, or more than two even. Right. And and there are, and I will say this, there are some dispensationalists that come to that, that conclusion. Mm-hmm. They may not, they may say it in their writing, or they may not. It may be more subliminal, uh, and it comes out to where, you know, the the... The Jews or the the nation of Israel has a different mode of salvation uh, than the Gentiles do, you know. Now that that is a mark of dispensationalism is that there is a there is a difference between national Israel and the church. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the national Israel is God's people, but they are distinct as a nation. Um, the church, uh, uh, which encompasses Jews and Gentiles is a people of God, but it is distinct. And this is probably where I I stray from... This is where the little D of dispensationalism comes in for me. It's where you become more progressive. Right, Progressive right. Dis- dispensational. It's, there's more of a blend there, because... Uh, Not progressive in the political sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's make yeah. that distinction. Yeah, yeah. woke dispensationalism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway... So where, so well, where, where, where do you go... With that, you kind of cut off there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell, tell us a little oh, bit more the, about the that. Salvation? Um, well, the, yeah, do, do the, the salvation? Oh, yeah, do the salvation and the, uh, what the, George is kind of the blend, at. Kind yeah. of the blending of Israel and the church, where where the little d comes from. Okay. Well, salvation, um, 
uh, is the same in the previous dispensations as it is today. Uh, the only difference is... <clears throat> Would you say, like, so that you said that's faith in, in the promise of the Messiah? In the faith in the promise of the Messiah. Okay. Um, uh, so the all the way back to this, Genesis is, 3. Right. Okay. Right. Which is um, very close to what covenant theologians say. That's mm-hmm. what I want to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and this would probably come where, where uh, revised and progressive dispensationalism comes in, too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, dispensationalists, uh, classical dispensationalists, would see the promise of national Israel um, distinct, whereas progressive dispensationalists would see fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but there's still a distinction functionally mm-hmm. with a nation, uh, particularly in the millennial reign. <clears throat> Would an old school dispensationalist like um, Big D, Schofield, do they believe in that they're saved according to their works or their obedience to that particular dispensation, or do they, or must they have faith in the Messiah? Um, overall, it wasn't intended. Uh, that that is not the definition of how somebody is saved, but because of that that difference. Of, uh, of of the dispensations and Israel and the church, um, some naturally move into more of a legalistic type of mm. um, ecclesiology, theology, soteriology, mm. um, uh, and so. But that's you, not the trend of dispensationalism today, right? It's moving kind of toward what you're right, where you're at, right? Um, it's you know honestly, it's been a while since I've even dialogued about uh, eschatology and, and dispensationalism. Um, I think most of the scholars are leaning more your direction. Are they? I think so. Yeah, I could be wrong. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not my world, but... It, right. seem, it yeah. seems that way just from things that I see. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so there, there would be a tendency, I can see, if, if, um, if, if your dispensationalism becomes more than just a tool... Um, it becomes, it, it becomes, it's not a lens through which you see God moving and working in the Bible and, and in human history, but now it becomes the sift, you know. Mm. Um, I'm going to take the information that God gives me, and I'm going to make it conform to this theology. Um, I can see how you can branch, somebody can branch out into some extremes. Mm. Um, uh, you know, you think of uh, maybe Seventh Day Adventists. I don't know if they're dispensational or not. Uh, I have to look into that. <laughs> but you know, they they believe in the. Uh, well, I will tell the, you. I'm gonna the look Sabbath. It up. <laughs> uh, you're going to look it up. <laughs> um, but um, now, now you asked the question about the church and. Uh, well, you started to say that this is where you this is where you would kind of be the the lowercase d is in right. in, that, in this regard. Right. So what what would be the difference between you and the Capital D. Some some dispensationalists, and I would I would probably put this in classical dispensationalists, though not all of them. Um, when the millennial reign dispensation starts, the kingdom dispensation starts, and Jesus is literally on his throne, some dispensationalists believe and teach that there will be a revived sacrificial system. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I can't go there because Jesus 
is the teleos, you know. <laughs> right. He is the completion of the law. Yeah, let's just ignore the book of Hebrews. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Um, and and the, the Apostle Paul, uh-huh, you know. Yeah. There, there is no distinction now. Between... I said the book of Hebrews. Yeah. No, just... <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, yeah, you're. You know, I, I, um, I grew up dispensational, like the Tim LaHaye yes. version of, of dispensationalism, and uh, in in the Left Behind books, mm-hmm. um, they they do they write about this reinstituted temple and sacrifices, yeah. and they they try to tweak it a little bit so that well, it's not for the forgiveness of sins; yeah. it's for it's it's a remembrance yeah. of what Jesus has done, um, even though Jesus gave us a remembrance for what He did. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't animal sacrifices; it was the Lord's Supper. Right, right. Those were shadows mm-hmm. of the of the real, right? You know, of right. The substance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another example of of um, where somebody could take this theology is what's called hyper dispensationalism. <laughs> Um, and they would, uh, they, they take the distinction between the nation of Israel and the church to an extreme, to the point, when you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, if you're of this hyper-dispensational thinking, mm-hmm. this, the, what you're reading is not for the church. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not for believers. Right. It's for right. national Israel when they are right. reconvened, yeah, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've read a guy that actually said that the book of James... Is for tribulation saints, you know, hmm. <laughs> and so it's not it's not binding for us today. Okay. And, and so okay. they use that they throw that term out a lot. Uh, rightly dividing the word, right? Right. Yeah, rightly dividing. Right. And right. They, they, they mean by that not like rightly exegeting. They mean dividing it between <laughs> Israel and the church. Well, yeah. in in their mind, that would be a good a good hermeneutic. Yeah. You know, that's what they're doing. But um, I think well, no, I know. Once somebody who's, you know, the Apostle Paul, a Pharisee, a, a leader among the Jewish population, when he, when Jesus saved him, um, all of that became refuse. Mm-hmm. You know, all of his credentials, everything uh, was meaningless. Though God used it to make the, him the man that he is, uh, but now he is part of the bride. You know, mm-hmm. he is the church. He's part of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so every Hebrew person, every Jewish person who comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ comes under this umbrella of salvation, um, whether Jew or Gentile, we are all saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, and so I don't see a distinction at that point. Now, that doesn't mean that in the future there won't be a purpose for national Israel. Mm. Um, you know, in Baptist covenant theology, there's... Um, there's the continuity and discontinuity about the seed mm-hmm. and the, the Abrahamic covenant, if right. I'm remembering right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the physical seed of Abraham, mm-hmm. the actual lineage all the way up to, to the time of Jesus. And then, as the Apostle <clears throat> Paul said, if, if, you have, if you are Christ's, then you are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this spiritual seed as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... In the sense, there is a, a future work for national Israel, but there will be a time when, uh, to quote, uh, I believe it's Zechariah, will, they will look on him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Uh, there will be a time as a nation that, that the nation of Israel will repent 
and see Jesus as their Messiah. Um, and I believe that takes place in the future, and it takes place on this earth. Um, that would be a distinction of dispensational theology. Um, okay. uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the rapture. Yes. Because that's a distinctive of, of uh, dispensationalism. It is. And I've, I've heard that this is another difference that you have. Well, no, not necessarily. Uh, the timing of the rapture, mm -hmm. uh, based on that time of the, quote, tribulation, great tribulation, the time of God's wrath, mm -hmm. um, uh, a dispensationalist will be premillennial, which means uh, we, the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and we are raptured sometime before that millennial reign of Jesus takes place in that last dispensation. Mm -hmm. Um, so anybody can be a dispensationalist. They'll be premillennial. Well, what I, what I meant is that the time you've, your your timing is different than some no. others. Is that right, is that correct? Right. Okay. And this again is highlights the fact that there are multiple there multiple. Are, there are different positions right. on this. So maybe maybe lay out your timeline. Is that is okay. that yeah, is yeah. that is that a accurate way to to put it? Yeah. Like yes. your so timeline wise, let's let's book a revelation. Okay. Let yeah. maybe maybe lay out the timeline. Okay. Maybe. And maybe where you're maybe where you differ from Yeah. That's some other some other dispensationalists. I was gonna say okay. maybe, maybe do the regular version and then <laughs> and then how you came to your position. Yeah. Okay. If, um, yeah. if if you were to pick up a book on eschatology on the end times, it was written by a dispensationalist chances are very good that it's going to be from what's called a pre-tribulational rapture view. Um, there is a time of uh, a seven-year period that takes place, which is called uh, the Great Tribulation, or excuse me, the Tribulation. Um, seven-year period, it, uh, prophesied by Daniel. Uh, Jeremiah called it the, the time of Jacob's trouble, though he doesn't give a timeline. I think that's important to note. He just calls it a time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, it will be a time of distress that has never taken place up until that time or ever will be as bad again. Is this a worldwide phenomenon? Uh, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Um, and so a pre-tribulation rapture... Was, uh, by the way, that seven-year period takes place, um, depending on the timing of the rapture, uh, takes place, and then Jesus Christ comes back and then the new dispensation takes place. So remember, this tribulation period, the seven-year period, is considered part of God's judgment. Does it, the rapture kick the whole thing off in this regular system or system of this? Uh, of the tribulation, from this viewpoint, it would. Okay. Um, it doesn't kick off the new dispensation. It, it kicks off the, the event of judgment. Okay. Okay. Um, and so a, a pre-tribulation rapturist would say uh, that the rapture takes place and then the tribulation starts. Now, if you were to read in, in Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, uh, Jesus tells the disciples, uh, he, he points to the temple, he says, there's a day coming where this temple, not one stone will be left upon another. We know that was ultimately fulfilled in AD 70. Uh, well, they asked him, well, when will this take place? What are the signs of the times of, of your coming? And he gives a series of, 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 uh, of uh, signs that will take place before his coming. Um, the first part he calls the beginnings of sorrows. Um, 
And so a dispensationalist would say that is the first three and a half years of this seven-year period. Um, in the middle, Jesus describes the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Uh, Paul calls it in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, the lawless one comes, sets himself up in the temple of God, and claims to be God. Um, and the way Daniel describes it is uh, the people of Israel and the world make a covenant with the Antichrist. Um, but in the middle of that, he breaks the covenant. This Paul would say he's claiming to be God. He's revealing his true colors. And then what Jesus previously called the beginning of sorrows, uh, it's now considered the Great Tribulation, um, where not only are people uh, fighting, nations are fighting against each other, there's famines, there's pestilence, there's natural disasters worldwide, but now people are being persecuted, people are being put to death uh, for their faith. And, um, and it, it ultimately ends with the second coming, bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what you have in a pre-tribulation view is you have the church raptured before the seven-year period, the beginnings of sorrows, the abomination of desolation of the Antichrist, and then the great tribulation, then Jesus Christ comes back with his saints um, uh, in wrath, and then after judgment, the new dispensation carries on. The millennial reign begins. The millennial reign, the kingdom dispensation. Um, but... As we said before, within dispensationalism and within even premillennialism, um, there are different varieties of the timing of the rapture. And um, if, if I were to describe my position to a pre-tribulation rapture guy, he would say, oh, you're mid-trib, right? Mid-trib is um, you believe at the three-and-a-half-year mark of that seven-year period, uh, the church is raptured. Uh, we will be here for the beginnings of sorrows, uh, but when the Antichrist reveals himself, Jesus comes. When resistance is at its peak, Jesus comes and rescues his bride. Um, uh, we are raptured, and then, uh, and then we come back with Jesus at the end of the seven-year period. Um, but I, I make the distinction of—have um, you all heard of Marvin Rosenthal, um, Zion's Fire Ministries? He was a, a converted Jew to Christianity— I don't uh, think I've heard of that. He he wrote a book called The Pre-Wrath Rapture of the Church. Funny story. I bought this book as a pre-tribulation rapturist. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, because in a, in a pre-tribulation rapture, the entire seven-year period is the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and it's just called The Pre-Wrath Rapture of the Church. So in my mind, it was a pre-tribulation. But when I was reading, I found out real quickly, this man has this going into the tribulation <laughs> period, you know, and we're going to be raptured, you know, um, and... Uh, and uh, I wound up throwing it away, read another book <laughs> that I thought was pre-tribulational, and um, uh, read another book by uh, Robert Van Campen called The Sign. Okay, it was I've written heard, more of a I've novel. Heard, I've heard of that. I've heard of that. And one. that was the one that convinced me. And so okay. uh, so I went back and I, I bought another copy of The Pre-Wrath Rapture of the Church <laughs> and the workbook and, and, uh, and went through it. And that's where... But see, other people have called that a pre-wrath post. Here's the reason why. We believe that, yes, there is a seven-year period prophesied by Daniel, but that first half uh, is, is, that Jesus called the beginnings of sorrows is, 
is the wrath of man, not the wrath of God. The wrath of God doesn't take place um, until after the abomination of desolation takes place, after martyrs have already been killed for their faith. Uh, this would explain some tribulation saints, you know, in, in the book of Revelation. Um, and then we are raptured, and then the rest of it is the, uh, the wrath of God. You know, the Apostle Paul says, we are not appointed under wrath, but to obtain uh, salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So um, to be consistent, we so must that, say we won't be here during God's wrath. You know? So the mid-trib is seven seals begin uh, when the Antichrist is revealed midway through the seven? Yes, I'm glad you brought that up, because if you were to take Matthew 24 um, and uh, Revelation chapter 6 and even verse uh, chapter number 7 and lay them side by side, you can actually see where the six seals are progressed through hmm. what Jesus said were the signs of the times. Now, in Revelation, from a pre-wrath post-position, post-tribulation, the first half is the tribulation, second half is the great tribulation, God's wrath... Um, uh, from in Revelation, you don't see the word wrath until the sixth seal, um, when they say the wrath of the Lamb has come. And so every every person, all the rich people, all the mighty men, all the captains, they hide into the rocks and hide from the wrath of uh, of the Lamb. And um, and oh, by the way, when you get into chapter number seven, that's when you see the great multitude appear in heaven, mm -hmm. which no man can number from every kindred, tribe, and tongue. Uh, and so a pre-wrath person, or you may say a mid-tribber, would say that is the rapture okay. in the book of Revelation. Okay. And then from the, uh, from the trumpet judgments to the bold judgments, all of that is the wrath of God. Uh, so did I clear up the mud? <laughs> that makes sense. It makes sense to me. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I, yeah. 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 Get, Give you a, a for instance, um, you know that that book from Robert Van Campen called "The Sign," mm -hmm. um, and Marvin Rosenthal goes into this too. The sign that they're talking about is the um, the the cataclysm in space. You know, the sun, the moon, and the stars that you read about in the Old Testament prophets. Right. The sun is darkened here. Yes, this is the, what it says. The stars. Here. Yeah, um, Joel said in chapter number two. That, um, that that takes place before the day of the Lord, before the wrath of God, okay? Jesus said in Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven. Same sign. Uh, but he says it's after the tribulation. So if... From a pre-tribulational viewpoint, if the seven-year period, all of it, is the tribulation period, Jesus said that sign would take place at the end of the seven-year period. He said, after the tribulation of those days. Whereas Joel said, remember, this is the wrath of God from a pre-tribulation viewpoint, Joel said, no, it's before the day of the Lord. And so you see a, a, a discrepancy there. Whereas in the pre-wrath position... The tribulation leads up to the day of the Lord. And so just before the wrath of God, the day of the Lord, the sun is dark and the moon doesn't give its light, the stars fall from heaven. Jesus said it's after the tribulation of those days. 
Um, and so I, I believe it lines up perfectly the way it's described in Revelation chapter 6 and 7. Um, and so that's where I've landed as a dispensationalist with a little d, um, <laughs> pre-millennial, um, and, uh, and again, you could call me mid-tribber. So pre-millennial, <laughs> we haven't described that term yet. Well, we, we did, kind I think, of. in passing. Kind millennial of. reign, yeah. which is the seventh so, yeah, dispensation. Yeah. Right. So, um, you, so before the millennial reign of Christ, but the kingdom doesn't begin... So this is a distinction between where we'll be going next week with all millennialism. Okay. Pre-millennial, all of this takes place before Christ comes. Right. All right. Right. So that's yeah. the pre in the millennial. The tribulation, reign. the great tribulation, yeah. um, the wrath of God. Remember, one of the defining marks of a dispensation is a new revelation and a new responsibility, the failure of man, and a judgment. Mm. And so in the dispensation of grace, the failure is the apostasy. Um, the rejection of the gospel that's been preached to the nations. Right. The, um, the lukewarmness that Jesus talks about in the book of Revelation to the churches. Um, and then it ends with God's wrath. And then, it, then the new dispensation of the kingdom starts for okay. the thousand years. That's good. And that thousand years is the millennial reign. That's where we get the term premillennial. Mm-hmm. All of this happens before. Before, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And that rain is uh, on earth, literal rain. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm not real clear. I'd have to look at it, but uh, we know that there's a point where the new Jerusalem comes down mm-hmm. and, and, and is on earth. At what point during that thousand-year reign? I'm not sure when that takes place. I'd have to look at it again. But, uh, um, <clears throat> do you believe in, that there is... A sense where Christ is still reigning now? Yes. Or is this... Okay. Yes. Um, You know, we say Jesus is on the throne. Well, He is. He Uh is the sovereign of the universe. Uh, He uh, he holds everything by the word of His power. By Him all things consist. Uh, He is on His throne. Um, In the same way that He was on His throne even when He was on the cross, Mm. you know? Uh, he's he's governing the universe, um, but this, there there is a day when he will actually be on the throne of David, fulfilling the Davidic mm-hmm. uh, promise uh, covenant. Um, anyway, and then a, when he and then when he's there on the throne in the millennium, is he though he's on a Davidic throne? Is it like the earth? He's like the king of the earth and all of the nations. Yes, all of the nations will submit to him. Um, now there's all kinds of theories that come out of this, you know, well, who are, who are the saved, you know, right. are the people that are walking around a part of this righteous rule, are they saved? Um, obviously not because at the end, there's a rebellion, there's a rebellion that takes place. So, um, he is ruling nations that are still part of this flesh and still have the sin nature. Um, and, and some believe that within the population, there will be people who are, you know, where are the people that were raptured mm-hmm. and then ha- now have the glorified body? Um, again, getting back to the New Jerusalem, which is the bride of Christ, uh, the New Jerusalem is inhabited only by the Lord's bride. It is the Lord's bride. Um, and so it may be that they are separate and distinct while they're elevated, if you will, 
in the New Jerusalem while Jesus is ruling the nations, or it may be they're part of the population. I'm not clear on that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, There's a lot that's just not told right. in this regard. Yeah. Right. So, but um, it's, it's interesting coffee table talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, one of, the, one of the, the major tenets of dispensationalism um, from everything I've read, hearing, I mean, this is something that John MacArthur like hammers is we take the, we take it literally like yes. literal, literal, literal. Yes. Um, as, as you were talking, you, you don't think that there is um, sacrifices in the millennial reign. Right. right. Um, so I, a question that was arising was um, what, what do you do with uh, the end of Ezekiel? Because for dispensationalists, that's the millennial kingdom, right? Is that, is that your, position this, I'd yeah, I'd have this, to look this, at it this this rebuilt temple if, there's there's priests mm -hmm. it talks about making sacrifices um, I was just wondering like where does that fit into your interpretation is that something you, you need to look at some more I'll, I definitely would have to look at it some more okay but if there are because I because it, it's that it's that literal literal hermeneutic mm -hmm. that makes right. some dispensationalists say there is a rebuilt temple and there are animal right, sacrifices right. again because look at the end of Ezekiel it talks about it if if there are if there is a reinstated sacrificial system um i would have to conjecture that that it is as a memorial mm -hmm. it would it would have the same purpose as it did in the old testament of uh, it's a shadow of casting to the view actually the 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 substance is what casts the shadow, amen. <laughs> uh, and so it, it is. It would still be a shadow, mm -hmm. like um, a, this is like a museum or something, like where people come and they learn I, I don't the know. ways of the old ways. <laughs> they can see the brutality. But to me, <laughs> in my book. mind, I'm trying to imagine Jesus on the the throne of David, and then there's a sacrificial system. Even if the bride is is the New Jerusalem, and separate. Um, you know why would there be a sacrificial system mm -hmm. if all of that was to point to him anyway? So f maybe a follow up question, because that that literal hermeneutic is is something that dispensationalists kind of press. Mm -hmm. Where would you be in that regard? Like how would you how would you frame it? Like how how so what I I've heard is literal wherever wherever possible. Mm -hmm. Um, what is that? Would that be Unless your? Unless the text makes it obvious that it is, it is intended to be symbolism. Okay. It is to be taken literal. Okay. I, I always find yeah. it funny because you know you've got people like Hal Lindsey. He's you know yeah. he's he's like the poster boy Late for like Manitore, yeah. Um, it, it, he's literal, literal, literal. Yeah. There's locusts in Revelation nine, and all of a sudden there are Apache helicopters. Right, right, right. right, <laughs> right. Like, well, that's that's pretty literal of you. <laughs> well, you know, Joel talked about those locusts, um, and uh, and I believe they were literal locusts. Mm -hmm. But I think he uses that catastrophe um, as an opportunity, if you will, to say, you know what? There's a day of the Lord coming. You know, we think this is bad. Mm. You know, our our whole economy is upended. Uh, we we don't have the vegetation, we, our animals are withering, we're dying, uh, and we don't have wine and the bread for the, for the temple. Mm -hmm. So our whole world is upended. 
uh, you know, there's a day of the Lord coming. And he uses, the mo- if you could call a motif, uh, the analogy of locusts. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's talking about the army that comes and invades, right. he calls them locusts. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think it would be... If we're going to be consistent, it shouldn't be beyond a dispensationalist who wants to take the Scripture literal to recognize when um, when prophets are using analogies. Um, but until we can prove that it's an analogy, we're going to take it literal. Okay. So, you know, if they're going to have scorpion tails and all of that, then I believe they're going to have scorpion tails and they're going okay. to have... <laughs> so, so, so your interpretation of Revelation 9, I, I mean, that's a, that's a difficult passage. I'm putting you on the hot seat. Yeah, you are. <laughs> do, you interpret, do you? I mean, do you interpret that as as um, actual locusts? Is, I, that, is that how you? I would you... say I would interpret it as um, we won't really know until it happens. Okay, uh, but it's nice to guess. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, you know, I'm going to use the verbiage that John gives us that that mm. God inspired him to use. <clears throat> And uh, and just go with it. Yeah. I don't see it as Apache helicopters. Okay. You know, and, yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Yeah. That's, pro- you know, that's probably good. The, that's probably a good position to take. A good example <laughs> is the uh, when the when the clouds recede as a scroll mm-hmm. uh, right. at the sixth seal. Mm-hmm. Is that a mushroom cloud from a nuclear blast? You yeah. know, some people have conjectured. I think mm-hmm. Hal Lindsey did. Um, not necessarily. You know. Yeah. Um, I don't think it is, um, but that doesn't mean it couldn't be that. Okay. You know. Okay, um, so you you uh, you 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 said that you've changed your position from pre-trib to mid-trib. Is yeah. that what you want? Is that pre-wrath, what you is that what you pre, yeah. yeah? So pre-wrath is that what you usually call I it? Usually is that call it pre-wrath. okay? Um, have there been any other areas in which you've you've changed your position? Um, Man, I I know I I used to be dispensational and and then my wife challenged me yes. on it and then and I changed my position. So thank Julia for you know. Um, so <laughs> so over the years, have there been places where you've you've changed your position based upon something that you've studied in Scripture? Um, well, you know we we talk about um, where you where you I mean were you raised dispensational? Was that the the majority position? As a kid, up. I don't know. Okay. Um, as after I became an adult, starting attending church and um, uh, even surrendered to preach, mm-hmm. I was trained under, okay. I would say, classical dispensationalism. Okay. Um, but it was presented in such a way that if you believed anything else or taught anything else other than pre-tribulation, pre-millennial rapture, mm-hmm. um, you were you were to be considered a heretic and a false teacher. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so when I was coming to this different view of pre-wrath post or mid-trib, mm. uh, I, I literally agonized over it. Mm. Uh, in my head, in my, in my uh, limited experience among the group of Baptists that I was part of, um, I would not qualify as a pastor. I would not qualify as a missionary, you know, okay. um, if I espoused this view. I even had a pastor I went to, um, and I... I I really wanted him to fix me. <laughs> Give me the verse. Give me the Bible verse. I'm falling verse, away. You know? Give me the Bible verse. I mean, talk about fish jumping in the boat, right? Yeah. Here's the perfect opportunity. Yeah. And, um, and his response was, you know, Brother Gresham, if you, if you take on this new belief, this different belief, 
you won't give so much as a five minute devotion in my pulpit, mm-hmm. you know? Wow. And, um, and it, that broke my heart because mm-hmm. not only do I have a calling on my life, but I, I need mentoring. I need training, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but that's when I realized, you know, as you start looking at other, when did you change, when, 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 when did you change this position? When did you, this when, did you, when did you, when did you, when did you, I think, okay. Um, in, in another interesting story, I was um, attending another church uh, in Jacksonville, North Carolina, when I was in the Marine Corps, and I was struggling through all of this change, right? And um, and this church was premillennial. They they preached that. They're very dogmatic about that and insistent that this is the true way. Um, well, a deacon who also was a Marine and my age came, followed me out to the parking lot, and he said... Uh, you've been attending for some time and you seem to like the preaching and we get along. How come you haven't joined the church yet? And by this time, I am just tired. You know, I am just, I don't even want to, I'm tired of defending my position. I'm tired of arguing. And so rather than beat around the bush, I just looked at him. I said, I don't believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. (laughs) And let let him hit me where they, where he wants to. (laughs) Well, it floored me. He goes, neither do I, you know, and uh, and it turned out though he used different terminology, we believed the same thing. Okay, you know, and he eventually found his way out of that movement as mm. well. Okay, um, and found ourselves in other Baptist groups. For me, it was I went back to my roots of missionary Baptists, um, though predominantly they will be dispensational, premillennial, and pre-tribulational. Mm. There's a variety of views mm. uh, in eschatology. Um, though all will be premillennial, <laughs> us Baptists are always trying to find the the smallest thing we can divide over. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's one thing I was going to ask you about is what where do you think the tendency comes from to draw such a hard line on this issue of you know if you're not a uh, pre-tribulational dispensational guy, <clears throat> then you're not a faithful preacher. Or you may not even be a Christian, you know what I mean? Right. And so I've, I mean, I've listened even, they're still out there even on YouTube and different podcasts that they'll use, they'll put the the descriptor, not like not a faithful mm. preacher, mm. not a faithful oh, Christian. Oh, because they're not. So in my mind, they've attached something uh, beyond, say, by faith alone through grace alone, mm. and they're mm-hmm. adding a work to it that if you don't, if you don't subscribe to this, you're not a real Christian. You're not a faithful brother, and so we should divide from you and not fellowship. And right. where does this hard line stance come from on this? That's a good question. I have, um, I don't know if this is more of my, you know, chaplain background and study of human behavior than anything else. Um, I would like to research it out and and, uh, and to find out. But if you study. Um, I'm trying to remember. There was John Darby, um, you know, the Brethren. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. They were real separatists. Yeah, separatists. Yeah. Uh, C.I. Schofield, uh, he was a Congregationalist. Um, um, uh, it seemed like there was another, uh, another person I'm thinking of. Um, but anyway, they were very militant in, um, in, in disseminating this dispensational theology, this classical mm. dispensationalism. <clears throat> and um, is it because of the rise of liberalism? You think probably um, at the time because this you're talking like right at the turn of the, to the 1900s in that area, right? 
and liberalism was definitely on the rise. Yeah, so it would be in response to that. Um, uh, and so you, you have this method of preaching this material, this, this theology, um, and uh, um, you imagine receiving this, growing up in this environment. This is the way you've seen it portrayed all of this time, and so this must be the way it is. Um, and, and it's portrayed in a militant fashion rather right. than, here's the evidence, this is what I believe, you know, let's fellowship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's fellowship on the greater issues, right. the more important issues. Yeah. Um, but you're right, because uh, at that time there was um, German rationalism, uh-huh. Uh, liberalism that was taking place, the the, fun, the historic fundamentalist movement was yeah. coming to fruition. Uh, Bible colleges were right. started to get away from the liberal universities, yeah. um, and so I, I think that's why um, people still demonstrate it this way and give the information out this way. Um, because if you're not, you're kind of liberal. You've compromised. Right. You might find this funny. I was I was at a a, a previous church, and we had um, uh, a man who was teaching, and he'd he'd been teaching at uh, Southwestern. He'd he'd taught at OBU, um, and he actually said that dispensationalism was liberal. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was pretty funny when I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're the most conservative guys I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. maybe hard what he line, meant was line. the majority of Americans these days are grasping it. I don't know. Uh, maybe. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, it is. People are dispensational and may not even realize it because that's mm-hmm. what. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, that's, this is what I was, I was raised on. I, yeah. uh, it wasn't until after college that I even knew that there were other views. Yeah. It was, this is, this is it. <laughs> and yeah. this is what you are and they didn't uh, they didn't even have a label for it it just yeah. that's that's just what it's just that's, most this even, is just this is just what revelation means yeah. most evangelicals were all that uh, yeah. yeah so it, I, I i imagine that that most people growing up in evangelical churches they they probably just fall into it right but uh yeah. what what are some what are some passages that you find to be most convincing like these are the ones that i hang this eschatology on, and I know, I know, it's a, a whole Bible hermeneutic. Right. So trying to, trying to kind well, of condense as a system, it would be. Um, I had already mentioned the Apostle Paul and mm-hmm. in Ephesians, right? Um, let's see, I probably don't want that on your recording, do you? <laughs> mm-hmm. We've had worse. Uh, have you? <laughs> uh, just as he chose chose him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him, having predestined us uh, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved, verse number six. Seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Uh, here it is, verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Now, this is the New King James Version, verse number 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, this stewardship, in the fullness of times, he may he might gather together in one all things in Christ, 
both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In my Bible, I've got uh, in Christ, in him circled in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. But that would be uh, a main one. Chapter number 3, the Apostle Paul mentions... um, Verse number seven, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, which to me, by the effective working of his power, uh, to, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, the grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. And so it, uh, what I'm seeing and hearing Paul saying is there's something that's been a, a mystery up until now, and that mm. is that the Gentiles would be saved and be part of, of God's plan, even though you know, there were Old Testament prophecies that talked about the nations mm-hmm. being saved. Um, and he was given a, a, a stewardship of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we, we see a, even uses the word age. It was a different age and we're in a, in a new age. Mm. Um, I don't know if that answers your oh. question. <laughs> <laughs> is this Schofield, Schofield Bible? Yeah, this is a new Schofield. Can you go to Matthew 24? Um, I, I was yes. reading earlier this week that said one of the, uh, one of the ways that dispensationalism became very popular was through the Schofield Bible. It was spread across this country, and it had a, a, a heading, which if you're like a layperson, right, and you just read the Bible heading, mm-hmm. you're going to think that's, you know, Bible. Um, but the heading says something like, Jesus predicts the rapture. Huh. In I think it's in Matthew 24. I was just wondering if it said that in modern-day uh, Schofield Bibles. Well, for verse 21, it says, The Great Tribulation... Okay. Um, the middle of Daniel's 70th week. Um, but the rapture would be, let's see. Where is it? Oh. The king's return to earth at the close of the tribulation. Um, again, remember, this is based on a pre tribulation uh-huh. understanding. Immediately after the tribulation of the, those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven. Verse 30, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Uh, By the way, in Revelation 7, it mentions the four corners of the earth, which I think is interesting, just before the great multitude appears. Um, but it doesn't say the rapture. Um, what verse are you on? Maybe go a little further. Uh, verse number 31. It was, okay. Um, go to like the section where it talks about one being taken away, like around 40, oh. 42-ish. Uh, the watchful enjoined. Okay. So they changed the, the heading, I think. They may have. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting that the the heading was one of the re- like hmm. that was convincing to people is that now like I'm gonna that, have to go look that's the Bible yeah. that you know that's the Bible that was spread everywhere 
Yes. You know, all across America, everybody had a Schofield Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're reading that. Then they read Jesus predicts the rapture. And it yeah. got really solidified into the American mm-hmm. culture. Because mm-hmm. I think really this is stronger in the West than in America, probably than anywhere else in the world. Yeah, I think that's accurate. So. Or anywhere there's a dispensationalist dogmatic that's a missionary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that was yeah. very, very helpful. And I know I learned, uh, or it brought out of my mind things I had learned previously mm-hmm. and brought them back, and I'm remembering a lot of this stuff. So thank you so much for coming on. It was great. What uh, Are there any teachers or books that you would say, if you want to learn more about this, if you want to do some more in-depth study? And yes. don't, don't say the Bible, Tim. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Bible. Just read your Bibles. Just read your 1611 authorized version. That's right. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd actually put some recommended books down here in my okay. notes. Uh, these are the ones that I looked at. Of course... You can't get any better than uh, John MacArthur, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. uh, Charles Ryrie's Dispensationalism, uh, formerly called Dispensationalism today. Um, I think he, he calls himself a classical dispensationalist. Um, I think so. Um, James C. Morris has a book called Ancient Dispensational Truth, Refuting the Myth that Dispensationalism is New. Mm. You know, it didn't start with Darby. There, you know, the concept okay. of dispensationalism in ages... Um, uh, goes back even before the Reformation, or during the Reformation, I can't remember. Um, but um, where is it? Yeah, matter of fact, William Watson, Dispensational Before Darby, 17th century and 18th century English apocalypticism, um, he documents, a pretty lengthy book, documents people during that time period that were dispensationalists. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so Charles Ryrie, um, if you want to do comparison between covenant theology and dispensational theology, you have Reynolds Showers. There really is a difference, a comparison of covenant and dispensational theology. Uh, Michael Vlack, he writes for um, a dispensational group, uh, Dispensationalism, Essential Beliefs and Common Myths. He does a really, a really good job of classifying uh, the different types of dispensationalisms that there are. Um, I think that's it. Okay, awesome. Oh, here's one that's interesting. Uh, you might you might find interesting too. You've heard of Semper Reformanda, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a book written by Andy Woods, a dispensationalist, called "Ever Reforming: Dispensational Theology and the Completion of the Protestant Reformation." Mm. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Uh, he, he takes the. It sounds like he takes the position that um, uh, if dispensational theology and this idea of ages predates um, uh, the teaching of you know Irenaeus, you know the, we were talking about Augustine earlier, um, when they wanted to return not only their form of worship, the reformers that is their form of worship, the outward. But they also wanted to uh, go back to theologies that have been um, neglected mm-hmm. uh, and bring back saved by grace alone, through faith alone, etc. Um, he would say they should have probably gone back and embraced this theology mm. as well. Okay. Uh, ever reforming. Reform their eschatology? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Which 
given the freedoms that we have uh, because of the Protestant Reformation, um, I can see how we begin to systematize, systematize things, even covenant theology, um, mm. as well as dispensational theology. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, anyway, good That's reads. Good. Yeah, good. Right. Thank you for thank, thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you for me. coming Thanks on. For yeah, great. Enjoy you you want to do the honors, George? No. <laughs> oh come on. <laughs> oh, right. This is your this is your time uh, to shine, Jerry. All right, I'll, I'll hit the button. Here we go. <laughs> all right, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for watching. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or whatever, and thanks for listening. If you're listening on any of the variety of platforms, we're now on. Um, hopefully, this has been beneficial to you, and you can you've learned about dispensationalism from an actual dispensationalist, and hopefully, you've learned also that uh, even in other you know, systems of eschatology that we are still brothers and sisters in Christ and we should, you know, treat each other with respect and try to honor each other when we can. So if this has been beneficial to you, please give us a like, subscribe, share, maybe write us a review and we hope that you'll be back next time for Text Driven Tuesday and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.